Our Old Testament reading is from Genesis chapter 1. We will uh, read just from the beginning a little bit into chapter 2. So hear these words from the beginning of the scripture. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters. And let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the the dry land earth, And the waters that were gathered together he called seas, and God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the water swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures, and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the waters in the seas, and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth." So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful 
and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all of his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. You know, it's good uh, for us to regularly return to Genesis 1 for a lot of different reasons. It's good for us to remember where it is that we come from, where it all began. And it's of the utmost importance that you, you have this in your mind when reading, especially the first, but not only the first chapter of the Gospel of John. John assumes that his readers are going to, to have these words very deep in their mind while reading. Much of what John does uh, is, in fact, in a sense, expounding or interpreting Genesis 1. But that's getting a little bit ahead of myself. We're not in John. We'll look at this for now. Admittedly, that's going to happen a lot. Um, I can't stop thinking about John. I've been having dreams lately where I'm explaining things about John to people. And so it's just deeply ingrained. I'm just going to see it everywhere. So probably any conversation you have with me is going to end up that way a little bit. It's going to make its way in. But Genesis, as we start here, uh, it's good to understand this is not, uh, it's not as some moderns have thought, some kind of creation myth like all of the other ancient Near Eastern myths. It may be like them in some regard. But it, it, it's not like them. It's not a myth, or at least it's, it's not a myth in the way a lot of moderns think of myth, right? It's not, not true. It didn't happen. It's all made up, something like that. It may be a myth in the J.R.R. Tolkien sense, that is, that it is the true myth, right? The, the, the true thing that actually happened that all other myths, so-called, kind of grow out of. So it could be considered a myth maybe only in that way. It's the one that actually happened, something that J.R.R. Tolkien told to C.S. Lewis and was influential in his conversion. So it tells us uh, the means by which God created all things. And how is it that God created? There was nothing, there was God and there was nothing, and how did he create? It was by his word. Right? He didn't go and, and take some kind of substance that was already existing and then formed it into what now exists. There was nothing, and he spoke. And now everything is. God spoke, and it was so. Over and over, what did we read? And God said, and God said, and God said over and over again. All of God was at work in making what has come to be in 
creation, the whole of the triune God. All three persons of the God. And we see the Father, that God speaks. Right In the beginning, God speaks. He said, let there be light, and there was light. We see the Spirit of God, we're told, was hovering over the face of the waters. It's something you're going to want to just keep in the back of your mind. Even as we read John, as the work of the Holy Spirit is so often tied to water, to the hovering over water. It's something that you should just remember. Just tuck that away and and hold on to it. But what about the sun? Right? What about the Son of God? Where is he in Genesis 1? Where is the second person of the Trinity? Well, he is, John will tell us, the Word of God. He is the mediator of God's work of creation. Everything that takes place in this chapter happens through the Word. God speaks. That's where you find the Son. And what's the very first word that God speaks? The first command. Let there be light. God's word creates. In him was life, and that life was the light of man. In doing so, right from the start, he brings light, life Glory, revelation, knowledge, all of creation from the beginning because it is is mediated by, accomplished by the Son of God. So it is in some way imbued uh, with with his own self-disclosure. All of the natural world, visible or invisible to us, is something of God's self-revelation. All of creation, both the the act as recorded here and that which continues to be, right? The, The created order, all of it declares something of the goodness and glory of God, something of his character. It makes known something about him. This is what makes it so egregious, so horrible when any part of the created order is in rebellion to the one that made it, especially when it is that pinnacle of creation, right? The final part of creation, the one given dominion over all of it, to mankind, to you, right? When you are in rebellion to God, it is of particular concern because Even you were made by this word. Ultimately, all of creation then is about him. It's about the one in whom, through whom, to whom all of it was made. And so it's only right when we see that, when we recognize it, that then we seek to live the kind of lives that are in concert with that with the the self-disclosure of God in creation, with his self-revelation. The sermon text this morning is from the Gospel of John. We'll be reading the first five verses of chapter one. Hear the word of the Lord. 
In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This is God's holy and inspired word for us this morning. John begins in the beginning. And of course, as we've already said, this meant to draw your mind back to the book of Genesis. The very beginning, the start of all things in creation. But even as we say that, we recognize that Genesis is not the beginning of everything that is, only what is in creation. What, what are the first four words of Genesis? Kids, we just read it before. You're maybe familiar with it. What are the first four words of the Bible? Do you know? What are the first four words in Genesis 1? In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. Before there was creation, there was a creator. God was there. So there's something before the, the created order. Before time, there's someone above all of this world, one who made it all, one who was not created but always has been. In the beginning, God. And John comes along and he interprets and expounds upon this and he says, in the beginning, the Word. In the beginning was the Word. And we've said already, John doesn't leave anything, you know, kind of as a twist ending. He doesn't, he doesn't save things for you to be surprised later on. He puts it all up front. He declares it clearly. And in these opening words, John makes clear that Jesus Christ who he will say is the Word, he is God. The one who has come into creation is the Creator. He was and is and is to come. He is Alpha and Omega, beginning and end. He ranks before me because he was before me. Now this idea of the Word, uh, Logos, You've probably heard that Greek word before. And there is so much ink that has been spilled. So many trees that have been cut down to make the paper to discuss what exactly John meant by saying this, by using the word, word. And there's so much that can be said. There's a question of, you know, was John using the, the background of Greek philosophy, which there's good argument for? Was John trying to, in some sense, contradict or speak against some of the, the proto-Gnosticism that was becoming popular at this time? Maybe. Admittedly, I do think that in part John uses the term logos because it was a weighted term. It was something that, that almost everybody used. Every 
philosophy and religious system in some sense that in John's day was talking about the logos. And so it meant a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And I think John is intentional about why he uses it then. But at the same time, I do believe that John is completely clear about his primary use of this word. The primary reason that he speaks of the word. It's because he starts in the beginning. Throughout this gospel, throughout his epistles, throughout the book of Revelation, one of the things that John is so certain on is tying who Jesus Christ is to the Old Testament, to the scriptures, that he is the sum of the law, that he's the fulfillment of all of the promises of God, that he is the one who Isaiah saw on the throne in Isaiah 6, all of it, everything. He's constantly tying Jesus to the word of God in the scripture. That's what he seems to care most about. He begins in the beginning and with light. And when we go back to Genesis, as we've done, we read about God speaking and speaking, let there be light. We read about God's word. That's what John is trying to say. The word, the word of God is not just a a, a thing, something that uh, comes from God. He is God. God's word is often personified throughout the Old Testament. Uh, But even when it's not, we still learn much about it. It is by the word of God that he reveals himself and teaches about himself to his people. I am the Lord, he says. I have spoken. It's by his word that he guarantees those things which he has promised. Right? I am the Lord. Will I not do it? So shall my word be, he says, that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. God's word is his powerful act in creating. It is through his word that everything has come into being. It is by his word that he continues to sustain and govern everything that is. It's through his word that he reveals to his people what he wants for them, what he wants from them. His word is the standard by which they are to live and conform their life to. It's also by the word of God that he brings deliverance and salvation. I just quoted Isaiah 55 a second ago, right? The idea that his word will not return empty. That's given in the context of delivering the people, right? Delivering them out of Babylon. In Psalm 107, it says this, Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. 
So it's through the agency of his word, the, the instrument of his word, that God accomplishes redemption for these people. And God's word is always personal in the sense that all words are, all communication is, right? It, it comes from him. It reveals something about him in the truest and purest way. But there are times that, that God's word is directly personified, spoken of almost as though it is a, a separate person. John makes it clear that there is an agent, a person, behind God's creating, sustaining, revealing, restoring, his redeeming, his fulfilling, and his saving. And John says this is Jesus Christ. He is the Word. Everything that you read about the work of God through his Word, it is describing something about him. The very central self-revelation of God in his name that he reveals to the people, Yahweh, I am. It's Jesus who's going to time and time again use that of himself. This makes it so much more devastating when he is rejected. And often the word of God, the word who was with God, who was God, he is rejected under the pretense of the scripture, of the Bible, of the word. Jesus tells the Pharisees, you search the scripture because you think in them you have life, but it is they that testify about me. All the words of scripture are his words, his self-revealing. They came through him. And that's true of creation as well, both in the book of Scripture and in the book of creation. It is God revealing himself through the Son. Now, in the modern day, some uh, people have thought, well, then if, if Jesus is the Word, well, that means that, you know, the Bible, the written Word of God, the Scripture, well, that doesn't really matter as much, right? That's not really God's Word because Jesus is God's Word. What matters is knowing him, right? It doesn't matter if the Bible's true or authoritative or inspired. What matters is knowing him. Now, you could say that in a way where it sounds almost like what Jesus says. But it's twisted. It's not right. Jesus mediates himself to us through the word. The, the word speaks through words, communicates through words. All of scripture is about him. And so it's, it's actually more important when John says that he is the word, it's more important that we listen to his words. Another mistake that, you know, is often made in this regard is to disconnect the, 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 the words in scripture from the words in nature or creation or history. Right? What matters is the ideas behind what these things say, but they're not true, they're not factual, they're, you know, they don't, it doesn't really matter if they're actually telling us something that is right. They're better than that, it might be said, right? It, 
But this too actually misses the point of what John is saying. All things were made through the word, meaning Jesus Christ, and all of God's word comes to us through him, through the mediation of the Son of God, which means that all is testifying about him. And because of that, everything coheres. Everything that we have in creation, the physical and invisible created world, and everything that we have in Scripture, the specially revealed purpose and plan of God, all of it coheres, all of it fits together because all of it is about Jesus Christ. Everything in one way or another is about him. It points to him and it shows something of his character and his glory. It displays something of his majesty. Everything does. We say that only some of it is inspired, right? Only some of it has God used to bring salvation to his people, but all of it is still about him. Every word and picture and type and shadow, every historical event, every character, everything that you find in scripture, in one way or another, it is about him. John says that it's about Jesus. At the same time, all things in creation, time and history, seasons and trees and animals, every element and molecule, every person, each one of you, the story of your life, all of it in one way or another is about him in, in whom we live, move, and have our being. Now, I can't tell you all the details of why God has done some of the things he does or, or how it all coheres, right? It doesn't always maybe seem like it all makes sense together to us from our vantage point. God hasn't actually revealed all of that. There are secret things. We're dealing with the eternal word of God, and so there's going to be things that, that we just don't know. There's going to be things that it's going to take all of humanity, all of history, and even then down through eternity for us to learn about the goodness and glory of God. But what he has revealed is that at the center of everything, the purpose of everything, what brings everything together is Jesus Christ. It's all about him. It's all for him, in and behind and above everything. I mean everything is the Son of God, the Word. And this word through whom all things exist and in whom all things cohere in the most profound and deepest of mysteries, he has come and dwelt among us. Verse 14 of chapter 1 says this, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The eternal Son of God, the Word, the Logos, entered history, was born in humility. He bore up under temptation. He discipled those that he had chosen out of the world. He showed many signs 
and wonders that testified to who he was. And he was crucified and died and rose again from the dead. And he appeared to the apostles. He ascended into heaven and he poured out the Holy Spirit of God upon the church. We have seen his glory. It's the glory of the only Son from the Father. It's the glory of God himself made known by this word. This word is the true God. Jesus Christ, whom John is absolutely clear, is the actual historical person, right? The guy that he knew, that he met, that he talked to, that he lived with for a long time. The one that he followed, the one who had a mother and family who ate and drank, right? Who was, who was in other words, truly a man, an actual man. At the same time, he says, he starts right from the beginning, and he says he is truly and fully God. That's the whole point of this little preface. Right? These first few verses of, of John are like a preface to the prologue. And the whole point is to make it absolutely clear, right from the beginning, he is God. Craig Keener, a New Testament scholar in his commentary, uh, has a, a breakdown that I, we put in the bulletin, or at least I was, I guess I didn't even look, but I thought it was there. So you'll see that on the back of your bulletin if you want to uh, look at that. But he shows that this, the first two verses here, verses one and two, really make a, a chiasm. A chiasm is a kind of, of a poetic structure. It's very common in the ancient world to use this. Uh, and what it does is you, you have you know, the first, two line, or first line of a text and the last line of a text correspond, right? They say more or less the same thing. Uh, and then the second line and the second to last line correspond. So you see that structure if you look on, on the back of the bulletin. And this is something that's used throughout Scripture. There are entire books of the Bible. Some argue that the entire Bible is a chiasm. Uh, but there are entire books of Scripture that work this way that are a chiasm in the book of Lamentations. It's, it's full of this sorrow and woe uh, from beginning to end. And there's correspondence at the front end, at the back end. But as you get right to the exact middle, you find the words that many of us are very familiar with from that book, the ones we actually memorize. We don't memorize all of Lamentations, but we memorize these. But this I call to mind. And so I have hope that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. It's right at the, it's right the middle of a chiasm. You could kind of flip a chiasm on its side. You could say it's like ascending a mountain, right? You kind of start at the bottom. You go up to the top. You find what's at the peak. What's the main point, the climax of it all? And then you kind of work your way back down. Well, that's happening even here in verses 1 and 2. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. If you read it over and over, you start to hear kind of that, that poetic device. You hear those, those words being used over and over. You can see on the back of your bulletin where it all kind of meets in the middle. Where it meets at the, the climax is God. The word was with God. The word was God. 
That's the point that John is making. The Word is God. And again, so much you know, debate and discussion comes out of this. But the debate doesn't arise because John is unclear. You know, we might think sometimes we think, you know, if there's, if there's debate, if there's disagreement about something, it means, uh, especially when we're dealing with Scripture, that something in Scripture just isn't that clear. That's not always the case. Yes, there are parts of Scripture that are less clear than others. That is absolutely true. But this actually is not one of them. John is not trying to be mysterious or elusive. He's actually being absolutely clear. It's the whole point of the prologue, to be as clear as he can be from the start, to bear witness to the truth that the whole of this gospel expounds, that Jesus is the Word, which means that he is God, the Son of God, and thus the light of the world and the means of salvation and knowledge of the glory of the Father. It's actually clear. He's he's actually very clear. There's a famous quote uh, in in, uh, a book by the satirist Ambrose Bierce, a book called The Devil's Dictionary. I read it several years ago, and this particular uh, entry in it has just stuck in my mind, but he, he writes, uh, you know, these different entries, different words and their meanings, and he has revelation, talking about the book of revelation in the Bible. It says, revelation, his entry says, a famous book in which St. John the Divine concealed all that he knew, the revealing is done by the commentators who know nothing, <laughs> which is funny, it's, it's hilarious, and it makes the point uh, that, that so much has been said about John's words, and that's true of Revelation. It's also true here. Right? So much has been, been said assuming that John is not being clear. But he, the, the whole point is to be clear. He is revealing something. That's true in the book of Revelation. It's true here in these first couple of verses. He's not trying to be ambiguous. Right? You can, with the right application of the, the normal means that God has provided, truly ascertain what John is saying. It's not supposed to be difficult. He's making it clear. Jesus Christ, the historical person, the man who John knew, he is the eternal God. He was in the beginning. He was with God. Uh, this, this could actually almost be translated, he was toward God, he was face to face with God, and especially when we read like last week about Moses in this context, and Moses was told by God, you cannot see my face, and we're told here that he was face to face toward the Father, it speaks of the intimacy that he has, it speaks of relationship, right, the word is with God, but he also is God. The word was God, not not just a God, not just divine. There's some that really want to say, again, John's not clear here. He's just saying that maybe this man had some some kind of divinity connected to him. Maybe as some of you have maybe heard from Jehovah's Witnesses, what just says a God, right? He's 
He was a God. But John is, is clear. There's, you can't actually get that from this text. This, the Son, the Word, is fully and truly God. There is, there is one God, and yet he, he is plural in his persons. Even if we just said, for the sake of argument, that John's not clear here, that the word, who he is clear as Jesus Christ later on, that, well, it's not clear that it's saying that he is God in this text. Even if we said that, you still have to deal with the whole rest of the gospel. Because again, John is making clear his point, and then he expounds upon it throughout the whole rest of this book. If you deny that he's saying that Christ is God, then you can't deal with later in this chapter when it says that God, who is at the Father's side, makes him known. That there's God the Father and there's God who's at his side. You can't deal with later when Jesus will continually say, I am, taking to himself the very name of God. You can't deal with the the attributes of God that are regularly shown and attributed to Christ. You can't deal with the Jews who seek to stone him because they, quote, they say he is making himself equal to God. We're stoning you because you make yourself equal to God. You can't explain Thomas when at the end of this gospel he bows down and he worships Jesus saying, my God. You can't explain Jesus saying, I and the Father are one. There's, there's so much more that comes later. You, just, you can't deny it that that's what John is saying. Well, you can deny it, right? You can, be, you can be obtuse about it. You can be spiritually blind about it and fight. Just like those who stood in the presence of Christ as he said, I am, and they still denied it. Even when they watched him, they saw him raise people from the dead, they still denied it. So that can happen. You can. But you can't do it because John is unclear. The only way to make sense of it all is to take it as the, the obvious and clear reading that Jesus Christ is the one true creator God. And I know that most of you are all in on that. right? You're, we just said the Apostles' Creed. Right? You're all in. It's why you're here. You're Christian. But don't let that be lost on you. Right? It's not, you know, yeah, yeah, we, we get it. Jesus is God. We want some, what about something, you know, more interesting? We get that. Let's, let's get to something else. No, that's, that's the whole point, is that he's God. This, this should in some way consume your thought life. It should shine through everything for you. If it doesn't, then, you know, maybe you're you're not quite there. You don't quite get how, how important that is, how massive that revelation is, that Jesus Christ, the man, is truly God. He has made God known to us. The one who made all things, who upholds all things, who 
makes himself known through all things, who sustains all things, who everything is made through and for, he has been revealed to you. He is Jesus Christ. He is knowable. Right? The purpose of your life, the meaning that you're searching for, the glory that you desire, the knowledge that you want to have, the gratitude that you feel and need to direct somewhere, the means of fleeing the judgment that you know that you're under, all of it is found in him, from him, and to him. By him all things were created, Paul says, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Long ago, we're told in the book of Hebrews, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. That's what John is saying. That's what what the whole of the New Testament reveals. So where you have something to be grateful for, he is the one, the one that deserves the gratitude that's given you all things that you have. When you have uh, some kind of praise to sing out, he should receive it. He made you and sustains you. And he is worthy then of worship. He is worthy of your whole life. Jesus Christ is God made visible to us, made knowable. God is spirit, but he has spoken through the Son, through the Word. And you can hear Him, and in hearing Him, see Him and know Him. Right? And isn't it glorious? What a good God we worship, who has spoken. From the beginning, He has spoken, and He continues to speak, and will continue to speak, that His fullness might fill all in all. Would you pray with me? Lord God, help us to hear your word and to not just hear it and walk away, uh, but to hear it and so be changed by it in the light of your glory through seeing the face of Jesus Christ our Lord. Would you take these words and as we prayed through song before, uh, plant them deep in us uh, that, that you would water them by your spirit and that they would grow up to produce much fruit all to your everlasting glory amen